Hello and welcome to Economic and Political Weekly's podcast show Research Radio. I'm your host Abhishek and every Monday we will talk to researchers about their research methodology and process, what they didn't include in their research, how research can further equity and much more. Our guest this week is Professor Sobin George, who teaches at the Institute for Social and Economic Change in Bangalore. He brings an expertise in social medicine, community health and social work. He has conducted research on questions of marginalities, social gradients of health, the medical industry and labor rights. Professor George conducted an ethnographic study in Meenkera, a village in Karnataka, to better understand the extent and forms of discriminatory healthcare practices by upper and middle castes against Dalits in the public health system. The in-depth interviews and non-participant observation he conducted provide key details to understand the relationship between caste supremacy and the healthcare system. The insights he'll be sharing with us are based on an article he published in EPW last October. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor George. It's a pleasure, Abhishek. Thank you. Would you like to start by describing what researchers have argued so far about Dalit and Adivasi's access to public health services? The research so far uh, has tried to capture mainly the effects of discrimination, mostly through large-scale surveys and also through through deriving from uh, large-scale data sets like NFHS and NSSO with uh, accepted methodologies. They also try to look at uh, what are the implications of this uh, discrimination for the health outcomes, particularly for Dalits and Adivasis, and how such discriminations affect their health seeking. Uh, yes, these are all accepted methodologies, and we have got robust results out of it. And many studies could very well establish the linkages between discrimination and its effects on the health deficit of people through different quantitative and qualitative methods. But what we found is that there is a small problem in such approach, which I think is mostly structural and systemic and also methodology. If you look at medicine as a profession it uh, and public health services in India, there is a general uh, narrative of medical negligence in public health services. If you look at, it is a kind of quite common, uh, if you ask anybody, if they would say that, yes, if you go to government hospitals, we don't get services. There is a medical negligence, absenteeism, doctors won't come in time, their behavior is rude, it is overcrowded. So we have such general problems of medical negligence, which anybody can experience, irrespective of his or her uh, caste or ethnicity, which we, it's difficult for as a researcher to attribute when somebody says that, I have faced ne- medical negligence. It is extremely challenging for a researcher to attribute it to a particular behavior based on a social group. This is the first challenge. A second uh, is a particular issue with the medical profession itself. As you know very well, medical profession is a highly power-ridden one. And there is a kind of an embodiment of an expertise in it, which is the doctor or the service provider. And most of, mostly, we tend to attribute it to the discretion of the doctor who is an unquestionable authority in medical interaction but is an optimal intervention for a patient. Here there is a question of uh, confusion between the expectation of the patient and the actual intervention required which often is decided by an expert which is doctor here. So this mismatch between the expectation of the patient and actual intervention required can also mask the effect of discrimination. So it's difficult 
for a researcher to attribute it to discrimination when one patient said, I had this problem and the doctor didn't touch me. Because sometimes it is not required because if it is a common, uh, if you look at common flu which is happening, the doctor can easily make it out. He can attribute, look, knowing the area, the particular problem, the disease pattern in a particular area over a period of time, he will be able to easily attribute it to that. That actually falls very much within the uh, realm of clinical practice. Actually, a doctor being an expert to, to decide on the intervention. It's, it's a difficult issue again. Third thing uh, is uh, mostly related to the problem of caste itself. Why I'm saying caste here? Because we have a lot of studies which saying caste is changing. And in this in, with the study which we conducted recently, we have seen that people tended to question caste practices. People tended to negate caste relation within their in, in, in their places. In the same way, we can see existing uh, coexisting of uh, caste practices, caste rigidities, caste flexibilities, continuities, and all those kind of things. The caste itself is something which is highly dynamic and undergoes uh, undergoing a lot of changes. So we need to situate when we bring caste as a category to understand medical negligence, we need to bring it in the changing dynamics. So these, I think, are the three major. Many of the studies, when you do cross-sectional studies, especially large-scale surveys, which have looked at discrimination in medical practices, they have this haven't actually looked at the changing nature of caste, which we think is situation-specific, what we saw in our study. How did your research methodology attempt to address these limitations at both the stage of formulating the research plan and conducting the research? What normally large-scale surveys do, they try to restrict their questions in, in certain numbers. Like you have asked, you will ask questions, how a particular behavior of the doctor, and they'll ask them to rate it. So we, I, we think that is not sufficient because caste practices now are very subtle. See, you can't uh, see caste practices with a normal lens. And even what we found is that people, especially in the village where we studied, they themselves, most of them, in fact, uh, they don't believe that there is caste-based discrimination against them in, in health service. Why? Because, because there's a strong sense of Dalit consciousness and uh, dignity, which will not allow anybody which will, which, to discriminate apparently. So they will resist any forms of discrimination in that. So it is extremely even for a researcher in this particular situation to understand is there any medical, is there any caste-based uh, discrimination? So that's the reason we thought we will talk to them. And when they, we talk to them, uh, many things have come out. Uh, especially if you look at uh, the interviews which we presented in the paper, there is a tendency of patients to attribute any kind of me medical negligence to something as, I am neglected because I am a poor person. I am neglected because I am uneducated. I don't know what the doctor would say. I don't understand the meaning of the terminology he takes. Third, I am not clean. So we can see, the fourth is I am not powerful enough. If I bring somebody else along with me, the interaction can be different. We can see a lot of things, indirect attributes of caste coming in, not directly mentioning anything to caste. But if you look closely in this particular situation, there's a pattern in that. The pattern is that we haven't heard such kind of articulations from people who are not Dalit. There is, it is, what we found is that it is because the place we, uh, we studied 
it's a dalit dominated area and we have 909 households out of which 300 plus are from dalit groups and this area is also falls in in between uh, maharashtra and telangana region where we have seen lot of dalit uprisings we have seen lot of dalit mobilization we have seen a very very vibrant dalit movement in this particular area we have seen lot of conflicts between non dalits and non dalits in, in the past few years the place is something which witnessed a lot of changes in caste relations in other spheres so this was there very much within that so maybe because of that they since this consciousness is very strong they don't want to articulate i mean it it to any any kind of caste practices but definitely they face something which they try to articulate as they are being ignorant they are being dirty they are why why should the doctor touch me because i am dirty if you are if you are dirty how will they touch you and he's articulating the people they may ex- explain it more to people like you They're looking at the researcher because the person who interviewed that uh, the patient was well dressed is, is from an outside area so he okay they are attributing some qualities which are not theirs it, they, they they know that they don't have that attributes in our notes from the field section we'd like you to take us to your research site minkera that's about 140 kilometers west of hyderabad Can you tell us about the relationship between residents of different castes and religions in different contexts and over time? One of the objectives of our study was to to understand what is happening to caste relations because if we don't understand the changing dynamics of caste relation we cannot place this study in its perspective. We have seen a lot of research if you look at the caste literature coming up we can see a trend which is coming out there is a lot of changes happening at the local ground level. Uh, which is case capable of radically changing the caste relations we would like to make sense out of that is that change is real or not so we were looking for a place where we can actually kind of find find out a place where there are such changes happening definitely then we we looked at lot of places the first consideration was to find out a district where the number of dalits are more than the state average definitely we have to first three four states in that and we chose bidar it has almost at that time when we studied 23.5% if i am correct was the number of dalits in the district so which we thought is fine then the same criteria was adopted again to look at the taluks so we used uh, the same criteria of number number of the it's third was uh, because there are a lot of theories of the change in caste relation one is the numerical dominance if you look at the uh, caste followership by mnc was and others there are certain prerequisites they say in changing uh, caste relation one is the numerical dominance yes in this particular case there are the village uh, the place we st- uh, we selected had a uh, clear numerical dominance of the second is uh, movement from agriculture to non agriculture occupation even if uh, the non agriculture occupation occupations are not rewarding it's when you say non agriculture occupation we should not think that they are working in a better place no they may not be working in a better place they may be moving out they may be working as in in a market or maybe working somewhere else in a railway station but we can see a movement because traditionally agriculture occupation is highly caste driven uh, there is a movement from agriculture to non agriculture employment in our particular case if you look at three generation we looked at the occupations of three generation in several families first generation i mean if they are working they are mostly tied with agriculture occupation if you come to the second generation this is a mix 
we can see a movement but it's a mix people still work in agricultural lands yes uh, the the relationship in, in in agriculture employment is has changed because it's not like that uh, you can have a clear pattern kind of relationship because it uh, availability of workers also would matter with a lot of other things so uh, landlords are also their, their their behavior is also changing but we can see still they are kind of depending on them and third is look at the households where we studied when you come to the third generation we can see almost a complete shift of uh, the third generation to non agricultural vocation largely driven by education and other even if it's available they, they don't want to do that they don't mind they, they don't mind if even if it is not stable they prefer uh, working in such taking up such occupation to working in, in agricultural fields of if when you come to the third generation so the third uh, thing is the political mobilization as i said earlier the area was uh, it was in newspaper uh, three years before we conducted the study because there was a conflict between dalit and non-dalit group because there some of the non-dalit group they tried to disgrace sambedkar's statue and there a lot of conflict and they had to deploy police force uh, the place was under tension they declared 144 and the place is known for its dalit mobilizations dss was very strong it was cast as uh, uh, i said earlier there are a lot of changes if you look at the public spheres as many studies have already noted there is a decline of caste based practices it's difficult for you to obviously locate caste practices outside but if you Uh, look at more intimate uh, practices you can see there is no interdining people say that yes earlier we were not invited for the wedding of the upper caste now we are invited they uh, also say that earlier we didn't have the courage to invite them for uh, wedding parties in our house but now we invite that's not over but say that even if we invite them we arrange food for them in a different place and The, the type of food we save is or serve is also different so we can see both a continuum and 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 discontinuity in that in also if you talk to the youngsters especially those who are educated and doing like anganwadi workers and they they, they tend to be slightly assertive if i talk to those uh, several dalit women especially youngsters who are in, into modern occupation what they say is that there is no caste and we are not experiencing it we could hear narratives of complete negation of caste practices especially they said that there is a stream there where everybody uses to wash their clothes they said that earlier we used uh, the upper caste people used to occupy the upper side of the stream and we were in the lower side and we were not uh, allowed to go there now things are reversed and we are actually in the upper side they are in the in, in the lower side and we are controlling it it's this is a kind of a narration which actually negated caste practices or showed their capacity to challenge it and second is is rather if you look at uh, old generation they said there are changes as i said earlier uh, inviting to home going their home but with lot of restrictions he also found uh, in uh, third uh, kind of narrative which is changes with assertion and resistance people especially again youngsters they said that yes caste practices are there it's not like that it has uh, this have completely gone but we know how to handle it we, we know how to deal with it so it showed it reflected a kind of a sense of confidence and they know that they can resist it they have developed a kind of courage to resist it and that's how they dealt with that and there is another category of explanation which completely negated the change they said that nothing has changed significantly obviously there are a lot of changes in the forms the way the manifestations have changed but the essence the core of the caste is still there because if you you cannot still intermarry 
and if you if they may if you are in same political party they may behave well within within that group but when you try to interact in their personal spheres you will face discrimination so uh, the last group they said that yes there were there are a lot of changes in the manifestation but the core the essence has not changed at all we we got a kind of uh, mixed uh, uh, picture of caste based uh, uh, practices in the village what we found is that caste definitely has come out of its structures but it came out from the structures and but it tries to accommodate itself to the spheres and situations caste is actually more of situational it it can take its specific from depending on the situation that's what our study about caste practices in health services would become more important here not because just caste because we have one more powerful uh, structure here which is medical practice so on one side we have caste which is a very strong social institution structured power ridden institution same the other side we have medical practice which is also it's a very powerful institution it would be interesting to understand how these two structures interact and give a different meaning to caste practices altogether you found that a lot of the executive positions in local public health facilities were occupied by dominant castes and other non dalit castes is there a role that reservations could play in changing the scenario and reducing discrimination when we have a general deficit of practitioners in public health services in the rural areas and that problem will not be solved by reservation reservation can definitely bring social justice into that particular service when we think it from the perspective of the people who are joining the service but this is an another dimension of social justice especially when we think from the perspective of the people who are seeking treatment there i think we need a, a different approach uh, altogether uh, that's what i think i don't think reservation alone can uh, solve this problem but definitely as i argued if we have more personnel from that particular group there are changes we have seen the lessons from uttar pradesh especially among asha workers what they did there is definitely uh, people from other caste will not go to the low, lower caste uh, locality so they recruited people from the same caste to serve the same place the same locality same city it actually kind of worked there is an another argument it, it is we are actually doing an experiment to recreate uh, the the caste yes we are one way recreating the caste because uh, we are uh, kind of normalizing that the practice based on caste but health service is something which is we need uh, it's it has its own urgency we have to it's uh, make sure that they visit the household they give proper health education they give vitamin supplements they give other services which are supposed to be given by them so we prioritize the health emergency over other consideration if there is a problem of uh, caste being reproduced in such activities i agree with that but what i found is that there is an embeddedness of caste and medical sector it's if there are formal and i already argued uh, this in the in the article formal is like yes there are disproportionate representation of non dalits in each health services provision like asha said asha is very important multipurpose workers doctors yes still we can manage but other um, staff nurses asha and other things we can see and and, and a disproportional uh, representation uh, which in fact we can see you know how how do they recognize their own people 
it matters a lot if you if, i don't know whether you have uh, an experience of going to a public hospital it's no usually crowded and it's very difficult i mean uh, you have to you need to have go there with a different sense of mind state of mind because you have to wait anybody can misbehave with you there's no place to sit it may be smelly and you have to a lot of problems are there but you can see people are being prioritized in a queue if you know somebody from the health service that social capital in fact would would work in a different way the same way that social capital is we have seen that the rich upper caste um, not upper caste middle level caste group i don't want to say the name of the particular caste here but they may not directly access service from pscocs but for their tertiary care needs like surgery dialysis and renal or other things what they do uh, they take reference they you need to get references from lower level to get access to to tertiary hospitals in public sector where the treatment is highly discounted or or free even if they don't access here they use the same social capital and network to access the better services in tertiary care and we also see a disproportionate allocation of resources within the village as i argued in the paper there are three anganwadis in this particular village one is in a dalit settlement and other two are in the non dalit settlements and there are huge differences in the quality of services and uh, infrastructure available among these anganwadis two in the non dalit uh, settlements and one in the dalit this again is 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 a formal uh, embedness informal embedness is is the network they use i i know somebody there so i can use it that's why one of the dalits found patient said that when i if i go directly there an emergency care somewhere to a doctor he may not be very nice to me he may not give me proper care but if i go with the dani and is maybe a maybe a middle level caste person in the village who has some kind of network one power with people he may take my case more serious so these are informal uh, embeddedness of caste caste matters that person is not saying that i won't get treatment i will get treatment if i take that person along with me aha uh-huh. you've already started talking about this but can you share your findings about how dalits experience better healthcare services when they take help of dominant caste members or access private facilities or is it the case that caste supremacy changes the way it functions in both of these options i'm not saying that everybody who goes to public services would get put in but there is a tendency that we have seen a person if it's not from a particular group might be more prioritized even in a resource crunch situation in private hospitals such things won't happen normally because there is enough resources to take care of in the resources what i mean is time availability of doctors availability of treatment facilities availability of medicine since you are paying since this is something based on uh, economics and profit motivated yes there are ways to to control it but still what we we can be found is that the information of course our study this particular study did not in fact specifically look at discrimination in private uh, provisioning but i think which we can actually study later what i think is that even such thing can happen in a different way in in terms of the way you talk to me you have to understand the nuances of the doctor patient interaction actually we are doing a study in that how how especially something like shared decision making which is an important domain now in doctor patient interaction especially to reduce affordability and improve quality and to meet the unmet needs of the patients imagine a situation in which a dalit a poor dalit and a non dalit person interact uh, uh, with a medical practitioner in a private care system where 
it is possible that if the doctor patient interaction is fine and we have certain agreements for the for the for the intervention especially if it is a surgery what kind of surgery where should we do it how do we do it uh, what kind of medicines can be prescribed is diabetic uh, there are medicines same kind of generic medicines but huge variants can be there across brands the doctor decides what kind to be given so there are various ways in which a shared decision making can come in do you notice any trends where dalits of specific identity such as women queer or poor dalits were discriminated more severely or in different manners good that you asked that question that also opens up further area of research how we can uh, look at this across further subdivision but in this particular research what we have seen that there was a difference in the experiences of people from within dalit community across categories such as poor and rich men and women educated and uneducated connected or not connected with the significant person in the society greater discrimination is is little more com- complex as them i i don't have the courage to use it here but yes it is there are even uh, differentiations uh, within a group but the differences are, are not that significant uh, so that a rich patient or a connected patient or an educated patient or a man can always access services in a better way there is a permitted level even that this persons from this group also can't cross that permitted level definitely there is within that there are differences but it is not great enough to cross the threshold of niche if you compare the experience of a rich privileged man in a dalit group and a rich privileged man in a non dalit group is huge you've made it clear that there are all these different ways that that discrimination is meted out to dalits by dominant caste can you share some ways that dominant caste practitioners justified such behavior we have been asked as i said directly to the practitioners why do you behave like that i think it's already prevalent in the society that the doctor is an unquestionable authority who has more knowledge than us wherever whatever you are i mean even if a rich educated person uh, uh, interacts with a doctor there can be a difference in power relation you and me interact with a doctor definitely it's going to be a huge power relation because uh, based on what we know and the term technical term she or he uses it as so there is definitely a, a power difference that uh, sense of power differences is accepted that power transcript is already accepted it is already well percolated and not only well percolated people have internalized that what we have seen in our study is that some of our uh, definitely some people objected to a particular practice of a doctor but others what they did they normalized it i mentioned some of the instances before like uh, they said that doctor um, perhaps uh, knows much about it who am i i don't know even if he explains it to me i won't understand why should he explain it to me i think it's fine he, let him do he's like we have also a tendency to 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 have higher i mean our, our admiration to a medical practitioner can go up to the level of worshiping him or her we have seen that in in, in villages we, we people if they really like the doctor they tend to even literally worship that person would it be possible to share some of the unanswered questions that you continue to investigate one of the questions as i already said is we would like to know explore further is look at how medical interactions and shared decision making happening between uh, across different social is there any in any social group angle to that that is one question second question is that we have uh, found a very strong dominant narrative of uh, dirt in the study many people as i said they said that doctor uh, discriminated uh, against me because i am dirty 
same way, if you look at the discourses of public health, it, it finds quite contradicting. It's a kind of matter out of place. So, uh, one side, we have a strong uh, notions of hygiene within the health, and same concept of hygiene is invoked to, to deny services. So we would like to look further into it, in the politics of dirt in, in medical interactions. And third is how uh, these kind of experiences are different within subgroups. Possibly, I don't know the fourth questions, which I just got a cue uh, from your question. And how can we actually look at, from the perspective of the medical practitioners, how do they see it? It is difficult. It is extremely difficult. But yes, that, uh, that I, I thank you for uh, <laughs> that clue. But definitely uh, the first one, which I said, shared decision making, because uh, it affects affordability, especially when it comes to the non-communicable diseases. It is, for instance, cancer and other. Shared decision making can make a lot of impact on affordability. Right. Right. And this is a question we ask uh, all our guests on the show is, what do you see as a role of your academic research in terms of furthering equity both inside and outside institutional spaces? It's a heavy question, in fact, I must say. There is no uh, element of equity addressed in our study. I would say it's unethical. We have to make equity as something part of our knowledge production exercise, especially in social sciences. If you look at medical science, even if I don't know whether they would really follow, but they'll ask what is the social benefit of your particular study. Maybe these days uh, investigators are smart enough to say and write something about whatever they think is, yes, it's going to, to help people, it's going to, to, to find a, a kind of good intervention for corona or whatever. People can attribute in their own way, but at least they are bothered about that question. Ethical concern is, is there in, in that. But surprisingly and shockingly in social science research, if you look at the social science institutions, I don't know how many institutions and universities conduct social science research, will have to submit their papers through ethics committee. I still have my doubt about it. I think the entire question of uh, social relevance, policy relevance, whatever you ask, should be very much part of the knowledge production exercise itself. And is there anything else you'd like to share that I haven't asked about directly? One of the things probably you might have covered is the way the Dalit bodies are identified. We call it immediately perceivable uh, attributes. Yes, with, with, uh, if you ask five questions, definitely your cast will come out. But there are, uh, other than that, there are other elements. And we, I found it extremely interesting and also shocking how order, smell is invoked uh, to, to identify the caste of persons. It just came out in our general discussions of caste bodies, the look, the Holeya look or the Madiga look or the Vadara look or the Lingayat look, how, how such corporeal objectifications happen and it is invoked to identify somebody, which have implications in other spheres. If you imagine a situation if the Dalit patient goes, maybe uh, in this particular case, if a person goes to PHC, which is actually in Milkera, PHC is closer than the PHC. Imagine that if PHC is in another village, imagine a person who is going to that place, nobody knows him because in Sengarla, I mean in Milkera, everybody knows their identity. It's not difficult for a doctor. Definitely at the registration clerk, you will have to give your caste background, your full name and when it comes to the doctor, your full name may not be there. Your doctor may not have time to ask any questions uh, which, which will explicitly reveal your caste identity. But there are easy ways to identify your caste with your dress, with the way you speak and, and body odor, which was quite surprising. That's why I, I shared with you, I would like to pursue this project of uh, dirt, how dirt is invoked in medical interaction. 
that was a lot of rich and detailed information. Thank you so much for sharing it with us, Professor George. Thank you very much. I think I could also speak a little more than what I published in the paper. Thank you for the opportunity. What I found quite interesting from all of what Professor George had to say was honestly the research methodology. Limitations of India's public health system are stark and visible. And yet, as Professor mentioned, in situations when resources are scarce, they are allocated to benefit the health of those from the dominant castes. I do recommend reading the entire article written by Dr. George, especially since it contains direct quotes from Dalits in Main Kerala describing their experiences of subpar healthcare. I've shared the link to it in the description of this podcast. Next week, Professor Virginius Khaka will talk about tea plantations and the manner in which workers organize themselves to struggle for living wages and humane working conditions. We learn about how the plantation system emerged in South Asia and the enduring role of the state in safeguarding the interests of estate owners rather than workers. Do subscribe to us on your preferred podcast streaming platform so that you don't miss out on that and our future podcasts. We are available on Spotify, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. And since we're new to podcasting, we would love to hear from you about how we're doing. Send us an email at social at epw.in or ping us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter with your feedback. And if you like what we're doing, do share with interested folks. Take care and until next week.